Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to 2024, and welcome to Vision Sunday. I would like to personally thank you for being here today of all days. And as I say sometimes, if you're here today, you're the special ones. I like you the most. And uh, I'm just kidding. I know some couldn't be here, but not really. Uh, what I'm about to share with you has been marinating in my spirit for months. I'm anxious to share and get it out. Don't forget we have church here tonight, 6 p.m. with evangelist David Smith. If you don't know David, David's a wild man. I've known him many, many years. Last time he was here, I think everybody in the building started running around the building. It was crazy. And, uh, and happy to do it. If you'd stand, like I said, for the reading of the word, Amos 9 is where we're going. We're going to look at the first part of verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The New Living Translation says it like this. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. The message puts it like this. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. Our theme for 2024, and it's the title of my message today, is simply entitled, simply this, Accelerate. Accelerate. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a vision. Without a vision, the people perish, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just help me to speak it, help us to receive it. I don't want to go home today and it just like, feels good, like we had good church. I want this word to find good ground and be planted deep in this church, God, so we can see the harvest this year in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There have been key points in history when the world drastically changed overnight. The change was so radical and sudden that those periods of time are called revolutions. There was the scientific revolution of the 16th and 17th centuries, the industrial revolution of the 20th century, the sexual revolution of the mid-20th century, the tech revolution of the late 20th century, and so on. It's like a lot was happening underground, behind the scenes, under the surface, out of sight, and then there was a tipping point, and seemingly overnight the world turned upside down. I want to tell you that this country of ours, we're in the middle of a revolution right now like no other generation has ever seen on the face of the earth. The Judeo-Christian ethic that's woven into the fabric of our nation and laws is being pulled out thread by thread, one law at a time, like threads out of a sweater, to the point that There is now little to no restraint, and a tsunami of sin has flooded our land. It's not only flooded our land, but it is now celebrated and flaunted. Wrong is called right. Right is called wrong. What the Bible calls evil, culture calls good. And what the Bible calls good, culture calls evil. There's something about that in the Bible. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good. And good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness and bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I want to talk to you about this today. 
And y'all, we love people. I heard a funny story about a man that came to church, and he looked all disheveled and messed up, and, and he was dressed badly, and his hair wasn't done good. And the pastor went to him, and he said, Sir, I want you to go home and pray and ask God about maybe what you should wear to church the next time we meet. The man came back the next Sunday. He looked just the same. The guy went up to him. He said, I want you to go home and pray and ask God. You know, you're wearing these shabby clothes, and I want you to go home and pray and ask God, what should you wear to church? The next Sunday, the man came back, and he was dressed the same. The man went up to him, and he said, I told you to pray. Did you pray and ask God? He said, yes, I did pray and ask God. And God told me he didn't know what to wear to your church. He's never been there. We don't judge people on how they look. We love people no matter where they are, no matter how they are, because that's how people were when I got in church. They loved me where I was coming from, just like I was. You ain't got to get cleaned up to come to church. But having said that, please do not try to fetter this pulpit and keep me from declaring what the scripture that we have based our faith upon declares. Amen. Dr. Gad Sad is a professor of marketing at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. He served as the chair of evolutionary behavioral sciences and Darwinian consumption research. He's held, held professorships at Cornell, Dartmouth, UC Irvine, and on and on. According to Dr. Sad, there are parasites in nature known as brain worms. For example, he says the wood cricket detests water, but when a hair worm parasitizes its brain... I've got a picture of the wood cricket and the hair worm. The wood cricket will jump in water and kill itself, even though it doesn't like water because the hair worm needs the water for its own reproductive cycle. Dr. Sad says human beings have the capacity to be not only parasitized by actual brain worms, but by ideological ones that cause them to metaphorically jump into the water to their own demise. Dr. Sad went on to name a few of the ideologies that have burrowed themselves into the psyche of our culture. You've heard of them. This is not new material. Postmodernism, which basically purports that there are no absolute truths, so that you're allowed to claim things like men can menstruate. Men can bear children. It's postmodernism that affords the ideological framework for people to depart so drastically from what is rational. Social constructivism is another parasitic idea. It argues that everything is due to social construction. So, why do men run faster than women? Because boys were socialized to play rough and tumble when they were kids. It can't be biological can't be biology. That's social constructivism. Radical feminism, which also argues that there are no innate biological differences between men and women. So you have men competing in women's sports and going into men's bathrooms or women's bathrooms. Folks, these are brain worms. There's a loss of common sense. You remember the story of the emperor has no clothes. Remember the emperor was given an invisible outfit to wear. And his courtesans told him it was beautiful, this invisible set of clothing that he was wearing. And it was amazing. And he went and paraded before all the kingdom, and everybody was scared to tell him. 
that he really wasn't wearing clothes because they thought he might kill them. So everybody was like, oh, the emperor, the clothes are beautiful. Finally, one guy's like, you ain't wearing no clothes, right? That's what a brain worm does. It incepts us. It gets in our brain and in our thinking. Dr. Sad speaks of these brain worms, and he said this. Each of these parasitic ideas began on a university campus and eventually escaped the university campus and manifested in our political leaders, educational leaders, world leaders. It's awful quiet in here. It's about to get quieter. And I would add, even church leaders have lost touch with biblical reality. Last month, the Methodist Church of Great Britain released basically a DEI doc that recommended ministers in the Methodist Church of Great Britain to no longer use the terms husband and wife because these are offensive and hurtful terms. Husband. Ministers. Don't use these terms. Husband and wife. The guide recommended ministers to acknowledge a person's chosen sexual identity and ignore their actual, real biology. That's postmodernism. That is moral relativism. No absolute truth. Your truth is, is truth. My truth is truth. The emperor has no clothes denying actual, factual reality. It's a brain worm. Everybody say brain worm. You never said that in church. The guide discouraged language such as brothers and sisters because it didn't take into account our non-binary friends. That's a mind worm. In 2021, the governing body of the Methodist Church of Great Britain, by an 82% majority, voted for same-sex marriage and approved informal cohabitation, living together, both of which the Bible does not address in a favorable fashion. It's a brain worm. Church is built on the revelation of truth. Matthew 16 declares that. Upon this rock I'll build my church. And what brains are still left in some of these churches are being infected by these brain worms. They're causing these people like the wood, wood cricket to self-destruct. In the last four years... The United Methodist Church in America has shrunk, listen to this, by 7,286 congregations. Did you catch that? That's crazy. That's just in the last four years. Listen to this. Since we planted Bethesda in 2006, 18 years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention has lost over 3 million constituents. In spite of in the same period of time having planted 8,000 churches. 8,000 new churches and yet they've lost millions of people. It's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, 73% of Southern Baptist churches, and I'm not picking on anybody. I know it sounds like I am, but I'm not. 73% of SBC churches run under 100, and half of all SB churches, SBC churches run under 50. A lot of mind worms. The Presbyterian Church USA lost over 1,000 congregations in the last decade. Congregations. Churches in the Anglican Communion, I used to work for them, including the Episcopal Church USA, are splitting and dying. Mind worms. The Pope! 
supposedly the vicar of Christ, infallible in regards to church matters, just declared that the church is going to start blessing same-sex couples too. Mind worms. Is there hope in the non-denominational churches? I wouldn't bank on it either. Often these are just shallower hybrids of the denominations they rail against, and they end up acting and functioning as denominations in principle. You can see this in their fellowship, conferences, homogeny, liturgy, doctrine, and worship. Valerie and I call them non-denominational denominations. The problem? Mind worms. Here's what I'm saying. The devil has accelerated his agenda. He's got mind worms in all the spheres of power and authority in this world. Religion, arts and entertainment, media, business, government, family, and education. And his agenda has ramped up. It is moving exponentially now at an alarming rate. At this rate, in five years from now, I don't know if I'll be able to say what I just said and not either be fined, penalized, or imprisoned. I definitely won't be on that thing back there that's shooting us out to social media platforms all over. It's crazy, but that's the deal. Bethesda, we've got to accelerate our agenda as well. <laughs> Revelation 12, 12 says, The devil knows his time is short, and he's come down in great wrath. If the devil can know the times... Why can't we know the times? If the devil can accelerate his agenda because of the times, why can't we? We need to be like the sons of Issachar in your Bible. First Chronicles 12 speaks of them. They had understanding of the times. They knew what to do and when to do it. The problem is, church, we've got a woke world and a sleeping church. I'm going to preach this vision. <laughs> We've got a woke world and a sleeping church. And it's time for us to shake ourselves and wake ourselves. That's why we're praying and fasting this week. Romans 13, 11 says it's high time for us to awake out of sleep. Ephesians 5, 16 says we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. What does that even mean? It means because the days are so wicked and evil, we got to change the way we handle our time. We've got to pick up the pace. We've got to accelerate. We've got to make every second count. We don't have a day. We don't have an hour. We don't have a minute. And we don't have a second to waste. We've wasted too much time. We've squandered too much of time. we got to redeem it, y'all. Give God some praise. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Are you with me? I used to have a fast car. It was really fast. I got a picture of it, as a matter of fact. Oh, look at that. 2008 BMW M6. I didn't even know what an M was when I got this car. I got this car. At a, it was a great deal, man. I had no idea what I got, but it was a hoss. Massive gas-powered V10 engine. I think in the U.S. they only sold like 600 a year or something like that. Crazy, crazy car. And mine was modified a bit. It would roar. Some of you heard it. I admit to nothing. I will neither confirm nor deny this happened. But it has been said that this car, while in my possession, hits speeds upwards of 150 miles an hour or maybe more. 
crazy. Now here under Steve's stewardship, it's even going faster. But that's hearsay, right? I don't know. One of the things that I loved about this car was it could accelerate at an incredible rate. Zero to 60 in a little over four seconds. The BMW genius showed me a launch mode sequence with this car that maximized its ability to excel. And so it, it was like, I need you to put it in this gear. I need you to put your foot here. I need you to push this button, pull back this paddle shifter, do this, that. Those are all these little things that you had to do. And then like floor it and like for two and a half seconds and then release it. And, and he's in the car with me. We're over by Bethany right there on Riga Road, you know, and he's, he's like, uh, uh, go! And I released it, and we're like, wow, man, we're like flying down that road. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to jail. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to blame it on the BMW guy, you know. It's funny, though, he had me driving. I was going to take the heat. And so it did the launch mode. It was, it was crazy. Now, that's pretty awesome, but uh, Tesla... Brother Milton, Sister Valerie, Tesla, uh, they can do zero to 60 in half that time. And I, I admit to nothing again, uh, but I know that y'all's has that capability. Because I felt like it was happening all over again. The Tesla genius, Milton, is sitting right here. We're on Highland Road by Healing Place. And he's like, do this, that, and the other, and like floor it. And I'm like, whoa, you know, just crazy, crazy acceleration. And so here's the deal. Sometimes a launch mode, pedal to the metal, flooring it, it can look reckless. It can look dangerous. Can be. It can freak us out. But folks, speaking of the church, we're in a race. We're racing the coming of the Lord. We're not racing the devil. We're racing the coming of the Lord. He's coming back soon. We're the generation upon whom the ends of this world have come. And we've got an end time harvest that we've got to gather in. And we'll never get it moving at this pace. We have to accelerate. I'm burdened with this, y'all. That's what Jesus was saying when he told the parable of the 11th hour workers. Missionary Robert McFarland was with us years ago, told us this. Those 11th hour laborers were paid at the same rate. Or not really at the same rate, but the same amount. They were paid the same amount as those who had been there at sunrise. They started an hour before sunset. And they were paid the same amount. Not because the master was unjust. He was fair. It was because they harvested the same amount in a smaller period of time. Why? They accelerated their efforts. Church, it might get messy. We're in a hurry. We've got a big job to do. We've got a world to turn upside down. And we have to accelerate. We have to accelerate. The devil has accelerated his agenda. I mean, there was, you know, there was stuff. I'll never forget. I was watching a, a video of a preaching hero of mine, and he's preaching 20 years ago, and he's saying, the world has changed. The world is crazy. The world is sinful. We've never seen it like this before. And, and I'm watching this in current time, and I'm like, 
uh, you think it was bad then. You ain't seen nothing. It accelerated. I mean, we had COVID. We had the worldwide shutdown. We had a reset. We had a government doing things. We had stuff unlocked. And we begin to see this acceleration of an agenda from hell that's just really affecting everything. The devil has accelerated. We have to accelerate. We need a strategy to accelerate. We have to. Now, check this out. Haggai 2, 1 through 2 says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. He went on to say in verses 6 through 9, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine, the gold's mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of the angel armies, the God of the angel armies. Haggai said this 2,544 years ago on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you know when Hamas attacked Israel? It was on the same day, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Could it be that the nations will shake? God will give an end time harvest where the sower is overtaken by the reaper. That's Feast of Tabernacles kind of talk. Where the former and the latter rain are poured out together. That's Feast of Tabernacles kind of talk. And the glory of the latter house shall fill the, the, be greater than the former house. That is uh, Feast of Tabernacles kind of talk. Could it be that that triggered an acceleration in the spirit where the Lord is wanting to give us a divine, supernatural, in time harvest? I say we've got to accelerate our efforts, redouble our efforts, and let God pour out His spirit on all flesh. Give God some praise. That scripture is mentioned in the book of James and the New Testament about the Lord shaking. One more time, I'll shake the earth. Could it be that that has begun? So, how are we going to do this at Bethesda? I'm glad you asked. I've got a few big ideas I'd like to share. And I think we're going to, I think we're going to see God use them to make a difference. The first one I want to share with you is text to win. Well, that doesn't sound spiritual at all, does it? Text to win. This grew out of something that Kenneth Carpenter said last year, right here. He said, texting is the new door knocking. How many of you love to knock doors for Jesus? Three hands, and I appreciate it so much. Most of you don't. Kenneth said, or the carpenter said, Door knocking is the new, I mean, texting is the new door knocking. I know none of y'all have a problem texting. Some of you are doing it right now. <laughs> you have no problem texting. That flat out resonated with me and Valerie. 
Text to win is the door knocking. It's a means to an end. Thank you, Shana, for that title. We were trying to get a good title. She came up with that, text to win. We can all engage somebody, and here's what I mean by that, a non-Bethesda church person, somebody that doesn't go to church here, in a positive, encouraging way. We want to get them to Bethesda, but we're just reaching out to show them some love. We're going to invite them somewhere down the line, but we're just trying to show somebody some love, encourage them in the Lord, encourage them in their walk with God, encourage them about how good God really is. We've got some sample texts that we're going to provide for whoever signs up to be in the text to win group. We're going to call it the text to winners, right? <laughs> and uh, you can sign up by texting right now on this screen, right here. You can sign up to become a text to winner. You can text somebody to win. We're going to send you some recommended text. Some, when we have a special event, we're going to say, hey, here's the text we recommend you send out. Does that sound crazy, ridiculous? Is that not spiritual enough for some of y'all? You, you fast and pray, and then what? I've said it for years. Somewhere down the line, you've got to get up off your knees and talk to somebody. Here is a means whereby you can text somebody and just show them the love of the Lord and eventually open a door where they're going to come to church with you and God will have an opportunity to make a difference in their lives. Text to win. Simple, effective, powerful. Valerie and I, some of y'all have been doing this for years, but we need to multiply our efforts in order to accelerate our pace. Another strategy to accelerate is found in our next strategy. Zones. Zones. God dropped a word on Valerie and, um, and I and me <laughs> on September 10th of last year. The lady walked in those doors and said, you need to understand Numbers 11, 16 through 17. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, and they, they'll stand there with you, and I'll come down and talk with you there, and I'll take of the spirit that's on you, and I'll put it on them, and they'll bear the burden of the people with you so that you don't have to bear it by yourself alone. We have zone leaders. I'll explain this. It's already up and running. Some of you understand it already. We have zone leaders. I'm going to call out some names. I want you to stand with me right now. Troy and Charlene. Look at that right there. Steve and Michelle. Nick and Shana. Working with our hyphens. McGuire and Sienna, working with our youth. Valerie and me, here we are. We have five couples that are leading our zones. You may be seated. The primary job of these zone leaders. Huh? Huh? I got them right here. Chance and Bridget, stand up. Thank you. My bad. I messed the song service up too. Primary job of these zone leaders is to call the names of everyone in their zone every day in prayer. How about that? Pray for every person in their zone. Call their names. Lord, I pray that you would touch them, be with them, bless them, God. Help them on their job. Lord, I pray for their family, needs they may know about. That's why they're checking in with you, uh, touching base with you, uh, celebrating your wins, mourning your losses, praying with you, extending the love of God to you, keeping Valerie and I informed of anything we may need to know. 
Zones are a way that we can better manage and steward the people that God's sending our way week after week. We're just multiplying our efforts to accelerate our pace. If you're new to Bethesda Church, I don't care who you are, if you're new here, we would love to get you into a zone. We don't want to leave anybody out. We want to multiply and accelerate. We have to do this. Our third strategy to accelerate is this. Number three, home Bible studies. I got a couple of pics on the screen. That's the old school chart. How many of you remember that chart? Look, there's Joel and Olivia. I think we're in Vince and Judy's house. Look at that. Look at that. That old school chart right there. Then we upgraded. Oh, boy, did we ever upgrade. Let's go to the next pic. Oh, look at that. Upgraded. Now it's on the big screen right there. Casting is still old cheesy pictures, but it's upgraded. and Cast onto the television set. So it's pretty cool. Home Bible studies have always been a vital part of this church. We started as a home Bible study in a home, in a living room. It's in our DNA. Here's the deal, though. I've been the primary home Bible study teacher. A few have taught a few through the years, and I love that, but not like we should be teaching them as a church. I'm going to challenge you. Some of you have a teaching gift. You've got, you don't think you do, but you have an itch in your spirit to do it that you need to scratch. You won't really succeed at it until you actually do it. You got to do it. You got to get in front of somebody and begin to teach the scripture, teach the word. Well, I don't have a degree in theology. Well, I don't have all the answers. You don't have to have a degree and you don't have to have all the answers. You just share what you know. You, you share what you do have. Some of you need to scratch that itch. I'm excited about new Bible study teachers stepping up to the plate this year. We've already got one. Her name is Michelle, right here. Michelle came up to me. She was convicted a few months ago. She's like, I got to do something. I got to do something. I, gotta, I think I'm going to teach a Bible study. She got somebody interested. She set it up, and she taught a Bible study. She was texting us saying, I taught the Bible study. How did it go? It went great. It was easier than I thought. It went great. I didn't act like I knew everything, and that's what you don't have to do for crying out. Don't act like you know everything. That's a sure way to fail. People can smell insincerity. You just be real and genuine. Say, I don't know everything, but I'm going to share with you what I do know. We'll learn together. How about that? That's what she started doing, and it worked, and she's in the middle of a home Bible study today. How about some of you stepping up to the plate and begin to do what you feel God is calling you to do when it comes to Bible studies? I've said it. I've said it through the years. I've told you the story about my dad. My dad has all these Bible study charts, and he's never taught a Bible study. But my dad's a bringer. My dad brings 15, 20 people to church every Sunday. Like, some of y'all could do that, too, for crying out loud. Y'all to do that. Bring people to church. But my dad, and so I've said it. My dad's not a Bible study. I've told him, he's like, Dad, you're 80 years old. You've not taught a Bible study yet? You always want to teach a Bible study? You must not be a Bible study. Don't worry about it. Just keep bringing people. 
And so having said that, I think I've kind of perpetuated this thought that, you know, everybody's not a Bible study. Everybody's like my dad. But listen, if you ain't bringing 20 people a Sunday, you ain't like my dad. There's some people that should be teaching Bible studies in people's homes or in their homes every week, week in and week out. I was just in a home yesterday. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I sent that pic. I took that little pic. I was at the Elliot's house, and we're just going over some Bible scriptures. And, and Chris, I didn't have the chart. Chris is throwing the scriptures that I'm teaching up on his TV set. I looked over my shoulder. My Lord, there were the verses right there. We were going over. Just in a house talking about the Bible. You know you can talk about the Bible outside of this building. And faith comes. The Lord moves outside of this building. Some of you need to teach a home Bible study. It's really not that hard. Let me just say this right now. We got a baptism that's coming up this next Sunday right here, right over there as a result of Bible studies. Here's the deal. At Bethesda, we believe in water baptism. We believe in water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. And we believe it's necessary, it's essential. And why would we suggest otherwise? We've baptized hundreds through the years. And we believe in rebaptizing folks. Maybe they were just baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And people say, well, that don't really matter. I don't know about that. Who am I to say it doesn't matter? The apostles baptized in the name of Jesus. That's how we're going to do it. We've rebaptized prodigals who were baptized in the name of Jesus but walked away from the Lord. And we'll baptize anybody in this room today or rebaptize them. We are always ready. We're going to have a live group this semester called How to Teach a Home Bible Study. And if you'll sign up, I'm going to give you everything I know. <laughs> and I'm going to help you. And my goal is to have 10 teachers teaching home Bible studies in 2024. I mean, I'll have, is, when I teach them, I'm going to have 10, 15 people in the room uh, very often. And I'm just thinking, if we had five people doing that, we got 50 or 60, 10 people, we got 100 or 150 every week in homes in the Word. Wouldn't that be amazing? We've got to multiply our efforts, church, to accelerate our pace. Number four, first Sunday revival. Here's a strategy. We did first Monday prayer, and I love that, but we felt a shift. So, on, you know, we're Jesus people mission. Jesus is first. People matter. We're on a mission to get people to Jesus. And so we adjust. And, and, and our, our first Monday prayer was about putting Jesus first. First Monday prayer. Jesus is first. But we're shifting that to a Sunday night. We'll pray. We'll also have revival services. It depends on where we are in the calendar. What's going on. So we have these first Sunday Revival services. David Smith is tonight, and it's going to be on fire. You need to come prepared for a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ. And y'all, as I preached before, the mind-worm-infected church has failed this world and has failed this nation and has failed the people that were trying to darken the doors of those places. We need a church that's on fire with God, and the fire is burning up the brain worms in Jesus' name. Right? The wood cricket can't survive as a wood cricket if it's infested with a brain worm. And the church can't survive as a church if we stay infested with brain worms. Everybody say brain worm. Brain worm. 
Second time you've ever said that in church. We got Morton busted on March the 3rd, Sunday morning and Sunday night. We'll also have Jerry Dean, DJ Hill, Paul Price. You can get your upcoming uh, event card from 2024 back there and so much more. Multiply to accelerate. Fifth thing, we've got to have youth involvement. We've got to have youth involvement. Not just the grown-ups, the adults, the old people who've been in church for a long time and got, you know, all the answers and the wisdom and all the stuff, you know. We need a youth. This has always been a youthful church. I'm not as useful, useful or youthful as I used to be. But, but this has always had a youthful flair. And we need our junior high and our high school students and our hyphens stepping up to the plate and leading in worship, in the Word, in Bible studies, and P7 groups at school. Nothing wrong with that, y'all. You can do it. I know I say all the time that my high school was different than yours and it wasn't nearly as wild. But let me just tell you something right now. It was wild. And if you stood out for Jesus, especially as this spirit-filled type kind of church, you stood out. And I did my best. I'm nothing. I made a lot of mistakes. I failed a lot. But I did my best to teach some folks. And I had friends that would come to church and they're like, this is crazy weird. The next thing I know, I look over there and they're crying and speaking in tongues. I had many of them come to church with me and I witnessed and I prayed and I did my best. If I could do it back then, you can do it now. You'll just stumble and fumble. That's okay. If you're moving in that direction, God will help you out. We need our young people involved. They gotta be involved. Our public schools have gone to hell in a handbasket. And it's a it's a dream of mine and Valerie's to have a school. I wish to God we could have a private school right here in this church. You're like, well, we should go into the world and all that. Well, that's like, like my kids should go into the cage with the lion and the rattlesnakes. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get that, under, that, that, that argument, but it's gotten so bad. I would love to have an alternative where our kids could come to school here. And we've looked into it. Just personnel, finances, right? Isn't that the case? Money and finances. But, you know, Lord willing, let's see what happens. It's a dream. If you want your kids to be happy in church... Get them involved. And maybe you should lead the way. Maybe they're not involved and not happy with church because you're not. Maybe you're just coming out of obligation and homage to the past. They don't have that same affection and tenderness for the past that you do. But if you would get involved... And be the happy one, supporting, loving, getting behind the ministry in the church. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm going to help you. It'll help your children want to get involved, which means they'll stay. Because at the rate that some of us are going, instead of accelerating, we're decelerating. And because the devil's accelerated so much, here's what's going to happen. We're going to love the Lord. We're still going to believe the truth. But our kids are going to become confused more and more so. And our kids and our grandchildren especially will not believe the same thing that we believe. And we'll be heartbroken. We're like, what happened? 
Oh, let me tell you what happened. Mom and dad quit caring. Mom and dad quit giving. Mom and dad quit getting involved. Mom and dad got a bad attitude. Mom and dad got bitter. And eventually the brain worms infected the family and they lost it. You've got to protect those children. Hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Youth involvement. Mission recovery. Sixth thing. And, oh, I'm 40 minutes in, y'all. It's Vision Sunday. Give me a break. I'm almost done. I'm right here at the end. Mission recovery. This is a vital part of what God's doing here at Bethesda. And, and I am so thankful. Chance and Bridget stand up again. Chance and Bridget, come on. They took this. I'm going to say what they would say to you. You look at them and you're like, what an awesome couple. They, they got everything together. You don't know their story. They're working through their story. Their, their story's still working. God's, God's still working on them, just like He's working on me and just like He's working on you. But they saw a need. They had a burden. They were touched and affected personally by some of these issues. And they said, we want to do something about it. Maybe we can do something about it. And they stepped up to the plate. And I am so godly proud of what they have done. Chance and Bridget and Milton and Valerie. Stand up back there, Valerie. I see you back there. And, and, and Steve and Michelle, stand up. I know it's mainly Steve and Michelle's been coming on. She's been coming on strong. But I am so thankful. And, and Karen and Brenda and others that have stepped in and supported in the earliest days. Thank you. Thank you. Mission recovery is vital. This is an, a, a world that has gone mad with drugs and, and addiction and, 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 and hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we need something. When they leave these altars, we need something. This year we didn't do it, but next year we're going to do it uh, on New Year's Eve. we got to have a New Year's Eve party. People need an alternative. On those trigger holidays when, when they normally go out and they get wasted or blitzed or, or, or strung out or whatever, this is an opportunity. We can party. We did it on Thanksgiving, man. We had a feast. It was awesome. It's an alternative. Mission recovery. It's a way we can accelerate our efforts. And finally, the prodigal prayer ministry. We have to have this. There are prodigal. What is a prodigal? It's the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. He was once in the father's house, but he walked away. There are many in these parishes that had a relationship with the Lord and walked away. And they're far away. They're in a far land. They spent all they had. They've, they've just become a rector in the pig pen. And they're miserable. And they need to understand there is a path back to the Father's house. And there are arms open wide. The Father's arms are open wide. And the church's arms are open wide saying, come on back. You're not too messed up. You're not too far gone. It doesn't matter what your sin is, what you've been labeled, identified. It doesn't matter what it is. We have an open door policy. You're welcome here. Because the, the Father, see, He's going to run out to meet you. He's going to make sure the fatted calf is killed. We're going to celebrate the fact that you're home, and He's going to restore you. We need a prodigal prayer ministry. And the Longs are going to help us with that. And I know many of you are going to get involved in that. Would you stand with me right now? I, I didn't want to... You know, I felt the need to, but I didn't want to get hung up on talking about how bad the world is and things are. 
uh, because I think we all know that. Some of us in our own struggles, we've dealt with stuff that we, we think to ourselves, maybe this is not right. But our culture affirms us and says, oh, no, that's fine. You don't want to get legalistic, judgmental. You don't want to become one of those right-wing, wacko, religious nuts, fundamentalists, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we kind of question ourselves. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, my, may, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but our culture keeps saying, no, you're right. No, you're right. But that's because the culture calls wrong right. Let me tell you where real peace and satisfaction is. When you come to the end of yourself and you say, you know what, Lord? If what I love is wrong, you can have it. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.